Hey there, it's Jake. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Online Hustle is a bit of a time capsule. It's from a podcast I used to run between 2012 and 2016. You're going to hear some references to that show, uh, to businesses and content that may have changed or may not even exist anymore. In this episode, I speak to our first non-video content producing guest, although he does actually produce uh, video as well. It's Dan Norris from Informly, which is inform.ly, which is a reporting app. We discuss a little bit about that, but we all we, we, the, the main focus of the episode is on his content domination. He's brilliant at writing posts. He's been featured in a number of top blogs, including ProBlogger, to name just a few. He's, he produces an excellent podcast with some amazing guests. Pretty much, essentially, Dan is just an, an incredible producer of content. So it was a na- no-brainer getting him on the episode. Without further ado, uh, let's get stuck into this week's episode. G'day, Jake. How are you going? Really good. How are you? Good. That's good. Thanks very much for coming on the episode. I really appreciate it. Today, we've only had episodes where we've been discussing video. So this is our first episode where we're bringing on someone who's doing amazing content creation that isn't necessarily focused on video. Count yourself lucky, Dan. I think you're probably one of the, the better ones that I've seen out there producing content. So cool. thanks. Excellent. So Dan, why don't, why don't we get stuck into it? I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself leading up to and prior to Informly. Okay, I'll, I'll make it fairly quick. I, I worked for a few years, different jobs out of university, and generally after six months or so, I'd get bored and want to do something else and eventually decided that I'd start my own company because that way I could just do what I wanted every day. <laughs> um, and then I ran, a, I ran a web design business for six years and I I think by the end, I was bored of that as well, and I wanted something different. But um, while I was running the web design company, one of the things I'd do is create reports for clients because I wanted my clients to understand how their websites were going and how they're ranking in Google and whether their servers were up or down, whether their visits and conversions are up and down. So I started doing that manually, and eventually I thought I might as well make a system that does this. And and that has turned into Informly. Basically, it's a, a system where... As a business owner, you can connect up your favorite services like Analytics or MailChimp or Zero, that kind of thing. And it gives you a report that simplifies all that information and gives it to you all on the one page. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had better access for a couple of days and it's certainly very simple, but it's powerful with the, with the reporting that you get out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of dashboard products out there. I think like the main difference with this is I'm intending to design this for people who aren't really going to be the people who are spending all day in analytics and are really keen for these stats. Um, it's more for a typical business owner who really wants to glance at something, see straight away if something's red and therefore needs attention and spend a couple of seconds a day looking at their stats rather than trying to figure out all these different applications. Yeah, it's a fantastic concept. So you're a web designer. You had a fantastic blog already on your previous business site. How long have you been producing content for that site? Probably about two and a half years. The site was a website designer.com.au and it used to rank very highly in Google. I think I had it by the end, it was front page for, it was first for website design and third for web design and first for website development and all of these keywords. And so I think it started out as just a sales page. And I think early on, it just had a lot of links and it had, the, had a good domain and it had its ranking that way. But I saw that was going to change. So I started producing a lot of content probably for about two years. I probably produced 200 
posts of, of different types. I think I wrote four or five eBooks and a bunch of videos and just kept pumping out the content and, and building building the rankings, but also building the long-term, uh, the long tail, I should say, traffic and uh, the audience as well to a point where it was it was fairly well known. Yeah, fantastic. Let's let's move on a little bit. So your history, obviously, you've, you've come from the web design background. So you're moving, and I guess, through that, transitioning through that into content creation, and you've come uh, come across the idea to create informally. Now, let's move on to the real meat of, of our conversation today, and that's how you've gone about promoting informally to, to build an audience. So uh, you're spending a lot of time guest Guest posting in particular, I've also your posting on your own website is really in depth and that's something that it's it's really stood out to me. But you're also podcasting and you're producing really funny videos as well. Uh, how have you gone about deciding on a strategy for all of this? All right. Well, the main thing for me was that a couple of months ago when I sold my business, I also sold the blog. I also had to get rid of my Twitter account and most of my forum accounts, my Facebook page with 1,200 likes and basically everything and had to start again from scratch. And I, I still had my mailing list, but other than that, pretty much everything else was from scratch. So I, I needed to get some attention. I needed to build up a whole brand new domain with a brand new blog with a little bit of overlap in the audience, but really a brand new audience as well. And content is something that I've identified that is something that I can be good at as opposed to a whole lot of other types of marketing that I'm really not very good at. So from day one, I was always going to produce a lot of content and try to build the audience back up. And within, I think within three months, my new site is already getting more traffic than the old one, which was six years old. And I think from an audience point of view, I think my audience now is much more engaged and I'm getting people from a lot, a wider range of places and I'm getting mentioned in a lot of places that I look up to. And I think that's gone to a new level. So that's been really good. And do you feel that's the content you've been producing or is it the networking you're doing or is it a combination? It's a combination and the way I see the content is it is networking. It's I'm not very good at networking. Like I, I don't really go to business lunches and start talking to random people, but I do have a lot to say and I know other people that have a lot to say that I have a lot in common with. Guys like you and James Shramko and Dan Andrews and Tim Conley, these guys that are cutting out content that I know I've got something in common with. I can easily ring them up and interview them for my show and talk about them and they talk about me. And that that to me is a form of networking, but it's the a kind of networking that I can be good at. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Personally, I'm not a fantastic networker in, I, I guess, in person. I find it hard to connect or try to meet new people. You just don't see that connection. Certainly, once once I know somebody, it's a lot easier to find common ground and, and engage in conversation with them. But I've found online for me in particular, you can actually do the research and work out who you have that common ground with before even needing to approach them. And it, it makes it really easy to connect with people. Yeah, and if I'm, and I've attended a few face-to-face events as well. But to me, I'd rather attend a face-to-face event put on by James Shramko than I would rather go down to the local commerce, the Gold Coast Commerce or something, and attend a face-to-face event there where I'm not going to know anyone and not going to know whether I have anything in common with these people. So that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. Now, so we've got all these the multiple forms of media that you're publishing. Uh, do you have a favourite? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. I think the best thing I've done is start the podcast because that's enabled me to do the networking and it enables you to show your own chops and talk to other entrepreneurs and you can't get that same kind of connection with blogging. 
And I know you do a lot of video stuff and people say that's as close as you can get to in person. But really, uh, often the video is not like a conversation with someone else either. And often it's not as in-depth. So the, the podcast gives you something that the other mediums can't give you. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm obviously very new to the podcasting arena, but I'm really enjoying producing the each episode because you, exactly as you say, you really connect with, with just that person on the other end of the line. And it's a great way to get to know people, as you've said. So I, I am, I, I can see myself uh, pumping out podcasts because it's, it's so enjoyable. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot easier to get known putting out a podcast. If you write a, a roundup blog post, then you might get a couple of mentions if you're lucky. But if you do a podcast where you're interviewing someone in depth and like almost every time that person's going to share it with their audience and you're going to get a whole bunch of new readers and why wouldn't they? It's good content and it requires very little effort for them. So that's why I like it. If I'm to be totally honest, my preferred way of creating content would be writing because that's probably what I prefer to do is sit in the office and bust out content. But um, I think I get more response from my other content than I do the blogging because it's just it's hard to write something that's really hasn't been said before and that, that people really want. So that's a big challenge. Whereas with a podcast, it's always unique. It's always original because you're talking to someone else. And as long as you can find interesting guests, ideally ones that, that aren't the kind of guests that get interviewed every week on podcasts, then it's always going to be interesting and unique. Yeah, that's that's very hard. I can right now see Tim Ferriss on just about every single uh, podcast uh, out there at the moment. The one catching up to him very. Um, I really I want to get him on this uh, this podcast, but I'm just going to wait a little while because he, he's so popular on the uh, podcast. Uh, just about all the podcasts out there at the moment. Don't wait too long because I know I'm getting him back on my show. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna get into a little bit of a, a, a hair pulling fight or something here. I reckon. No, but I think that is one of the things to think about. Like the interview podcast has been done to death and I still do the interview podcast because I just think the idea of listening to my voice alone for a long period of time is unbearable to me, let alone other people. But I'm reluctant to just interview the same people that other people are interviewing. And I like the idea of getting new guests that aren't trying to flog their latest book or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important that if you are interviewing people who are quite popular is to try and find a different angle, approach it in a different way. And I've certainly got plans. I'm interviewing quite a number of popular people in the next few episodes, and I'm already thinking about ways I can I can attack the interview a little bit, or I guess in, in a unique way. Yeah, I try to do that, but there's a limit to how much control you can have over an interview, especially if you're just getting new, just getting started to interviewing. But I try to have some sort of structure and I try not to go too much in depth with the person's background because if you listen to an interview with James Shramko and the first thing they say is, how'd you get to where you are? And you end up hearing the same story over and over again. And with James, he's a very good storyteller and he'll have a unique angle every time. But if you listen to a lot of these podcasts, the same guest every week and the same story. So I cut that part out of it and try to structure it around a topic. But as I say, it's not as easy to do that when you're relying on a guest. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and that's a, a very good point. I, I I know you do it very well and it's rather than retail a story, you can just link to the most relevant content that's already out there. And this is something that you do incredibly well in pretty much all of the mediums that you're producing in. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Okay. So given that your, your focus now is essentially a reporting tool, I'm sure you've got stats on where you're getting or the, the most effective way of building your audience. So out of the, the different uh, mediums, which one's the best for you? At the moment, it's guest posting. 
And when I first started out with the guest posting, it was hit and miss like I do one. Like I did one post on ProBlogger. I think I got two conversions from that whole post. And I don't know, 30, 40 visits is terrible. And it was the first post I'd had on there. And I'm like, oh my God, this is, I'm going to get thousands from this. But it was nothing. I changed a few things around. And I've had a couple of guest posts that have been really successful. Like I did one on Rob Walling's blog, which is softwarebyrob.com. And it was a three-part post. I think it was probably 6,000 words. It was basically every bit of content marketing I've done in the last three months and just telling the reader exactly what I did and what I learned and what results I got. And I got from that post, I got 500, 600 more visitors and over 100 signups to learn about my app. So some of them have gone really well like that. Yeah, cool. What's what's second on the list if guest posting is one? Um. I think there's probably having your own content to me comes first because a lot of the traffic that I get is direct. And if you get traffic direct, it's very hard to know how they came about your site. But because I'm putting out a lot of content, I can assume that a decent amount are coming from the podcast. A decent amount have heard of me on someone else's podcast because of some content I've put out. So I attribute a lot of that to just be the general content creation stuff. I get a lot of traffic from Google, even though I'm not madly optimizing for things, but I'm producing a lot of content. I think I've, in the three or four months, I've, I think I've produced around 50 blog posts and, and some of them quite big. Like I did a post yesterday on podcasting that was a 3,000 word post and really detailed guide on on getting started with podcasting. And that kind of stuff gets a lot of long tail traffic. So the, the, Google are my biggest referrer of traffic. So that, and then going forward that just it just builds and builds so they're becoming like by far my biggest referrer of traffic all right so listeners what we're going to do i, I want to give you some actionable steps that you can take away from this interview dan I, i'd love to focus on two things with you uh, for the remainder of the interview number one i'd love to speak with you about your guest posting strategy, how you've actually gone about getting content on others' site. And then I would love to then just touch on a little bit about how you construct your blog posts. So things from the curation of content, how you put your posts together, how long it takes, and a few other things that to, that, so, so that we can actually provide the listener with some takeaways. All right. The, the first thing I would say with guest posting is there's no real strategy as such. There's the way I go about it, which is to first have really good content on my own site. I'd never ask to blog on someone else's site unless I had a site that had great content and, and better still, unless I had a few examples of other sites that have had posts from me that have been successful. You know, when I go to ask for a guest post now, I send them a link to the Rob Walling one and I send them a link to the Pro Blogger one and the Think Traffic one. And I say, this, these are the kind of posts I write. And this was tweeted by 300 people. And immediately, they're going to look at that email before they look at some random guy who tells them he loves their blog and wants to write a, pot, uh, a post for them. So the first tip is to have good content yourself. Uh, don't start until you've got four or five really good blog posts on your own site. Long, detailed, step-by-step, specific, with images, a nice site with nice design that someone who's got a credible blog is going to look at and go, this person knows what they're talking about. Okay. So that's obviously, and, and is, is that how you approach them? Do, do, do you essentially, are you just sending them an email with an idea for a guest post? Or are you going off and writing content and then sending that to them and saying, hey, here's a post I've written. I'd love for you to publish it. No, I'm sending them an email and saying, here are a bunch of posts I've written. I've got this idea for your blog. I think it's good. This is why I think it's good. And, and would you like it on your blog? And 
most of the time, if you've got some sort of unique idea, like like even the second post I did on ProBlogger was a post on guest posting, and you couldn't pick a more cliche topic. But because I had a unique angle for that particular post, they were like, yeah, actually, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. I don't participate in any kind of blogging groups or anything like that. I just think if you've got good content, then just go and approach these owners and make them feel like you understand their audience and you're going to write something really good for them. And then once they can see the evidence that you're capable of doing that, then most of them will say yes. Someone like Darren Rouse, is it, was it Darren that you were dealing with? And A, if it was, did you already have a relationship with him before approaching him for the initial post? Actually, I pissed Darren off. I probably, I probably got a worse <laughs> relationship now because after I did the first guest post, I got one of my VAs to, just as an experiment, to reply to everyone who tweeted the post and just say, thanks for tweeting this post and then just see if they followed me back on Twitter. But she cc'd in, she cc'd Darren Rouse into every single tweet. So she sent <laughs> two or three hundred tweets, <laughs> sent me a, a message saying, "This is really good. You're being proactive, but do you want? Do you mind not cc'ing me into all these tweets?" <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know him. Um, I know what he looks like. So if I saw him at the cafe, I would probably say hello. But no, he he had a lady working for him, Georgina. I think a lot of these guys initially have someone else that answers the email first, and then sometimes they'll come in and respond later. Like a, a think traffic. They've uh, Corbett's got a guy, Caleb, who works for him and does a lot of the content on his site. And I just did one on Firepole Marketing and Danny Iney, the or Inny, um, is the guy who runs the blog, but he's got someone else who handles the communication with bloggers. So, so normally you'd, you'd get a response from that person first and then maybe you'd get a response from the owner of the blog later. Yeah, okay. Now, what's your conversion rate like then? How many blogs are you approaching and how many do you end up being published on? I think I've only been not published on one that, I've, that I can think of. I, I contacted Copyblogger and they said that they basically only take posts from people who are regular contributors. And But it it really comes down to who you're targeting as well. Problogger published so much content on their site that they're always looking for people to get content from. If you approach someone like Kissmetrics, then you would really have to know what you're talking about and you, you would have to be prepared for a long process of producing an amazing article and back and forth with them to get it on their blog. Yeah, I think you have to be careful with who you choose and why you're choosing them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a good conversion rate that you've obviously got there. But I guess that comes back to the fact that you've got such strong content on your own site. Yeah, it, it does. It's I'm sure that a lot of these guys, especially ProBlogger, I, I hate to think the amount of requests they get to get content put on their site. They probably get a request from someone who can actually produce good content and they're probably pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on then to the blog posting that you've been doing for your own stuff because that these are really the pillar pieces that get you everything else. Now, personally, I struggle. I hit a brick wall as soon as I have to start writing something. You're obviously very good at writing, but it, it, do you have a process that you follow for creating these posts? I, yeah, I've got a bit of a process. I, I can run you through the general steps. I use Evernote a lot, so anytime I'm out and about, and think of an idea, it goes straight into Evernote. And if I look at my Evernote, like I've got a notebook for, say, guides or blog posts or guest posts or something, then there's 10 or 20 different notes in there of random stuff. And generally something will bubble to the surface. Like during the week, I did the big article on podcasting. And I mean, I've written posts on podcasting before, but I wanted to create like a a step-by-step guide. And so I've just been jotting down ideas here and there. And Pat Flynn released a tutorial on podcasting. So I checked that out and got a few notes from that. And James released that video of interview tips. So I noted that down. And But by the time you're ready to actually produce the post, you've got half a page of notes and you can use that as a structure. 
structure for the post. I also look at within Formly, there's one chart in there that allows you to look at how much impact your blog posts are having. So it will look at who's tweeting your post, how many people have liked it, how many people have commented, how many people have visited that post. And it gives you an idea of what content people really like. And, you know, from that, I know the certain types of content I should produce. So I'll, I'll use that to decide what to produce. I don't believe in a calendar. A lot of people say having an editorial calendar or something like that's not really how I work. If you do work like that, then it's probably a good idea. But but to me, it's really a matter of once I get to the point where I've got enough notes on a topic that I feel like I can spend three or four hours and create something really good, that's the point I write a blog post. Yeah, okay. And your blog posts, are you then, are you creating them in the one session or are you just adding bits here and there and coming back to it after a few hours or a day or two? Generally, what I'll do is I'll get to the point in Evernote where I've got half a page of notes and then I'll just start writing it in, in Evernote. And once it's like I've got like a thousand words, if it's one of these big posts, like on my blog, you'll see I've got four or five guides, which are really big detailed posts. If it's one of those ones, then I'll, I'll generally write up maybe half of it in Evernote. And then once I feel like, yeah, this has actually got something, I'll put it into WordPress and I'll basically spend three or four hours just like busting out the whole thing. And then once that's done, I'll have a break and go off and look at a couple of other blogs, look at what other people are saying about the same topic and see if I can inject a little bit more into the post that I hadn't just got out of the original brain dump. And then I'll probably have a break again and then come back and read it properly because I tend to have a lot of spelling mistakes and that kind of thing. And, and it helps if I just take a break and come back and read it all. And then it'll hopefully be ready to go. Yep. Okay. Then how, how do you go about adding things like images and that or formatting of the post? Are you doing that throughout uh, the construction or, or, or throughout the writing or are you just getting content on the side and then coming back and formatting everything? I do a bit of both, but I, I've always got the ideas for the images as I'm writing it. Like I'll never do a big blog post like this without 10 or 15 images or more because they're really important, especially if they're detailed things like you're doing screenshots of how to do certain tasks and the images are really important. But also for having a guide where you've got a couple of thousand words, it's just too much to fill the page with text and it doesn't look good. So like even in Evernote, I'll say, have a intro section on why you should podcast and include a screenshot here of my stats from my podcast. So even at that very early stage, I'll know exactly what screenshot I want. And then as I'm creating the post in WordPress, I'll generally go off and get a screenshot and chop it up in fireworks and, and put it up. And I do pay a lot of attention to how it looks. Like I've, I really want to make sure that the post looks really good so that when someone sees it, they know that it's not just some guys throwing it together. Yeah, I, th I think that's very important. Uh, I know personally myself, I, I, I don't read many detailed posts and certainly you can tell straight away whether or not someone spent any time at all on the design of the post uh, in terms of using bullet points, subheads, and just even the way they insert images. So that's certainly one thing that attracts me to your post. They're so well laid out and it makes it very scannable and easy to read. Yeah, but part of it is there's just so much crap out there that you need to distance yourself from that. You're not just writing another post on guest posting. You're, you've really taken the time to get the graphics right and get it presenting really nicely and have quotes in there from people and links to other places and you've really thought it through. So that's part of it. But the other part is also... I like to look at what other blogs that I respect are doing and like Kissmetrics is, is one that always comes up because I don't read much content either, but I do read a lot of their content because just because of how good it is. And I look at how they're doing the images and how they're doing the guides and I try to set myself. I mean, they're a pretty big company. It's a lot for one individual to create content at that level, but 
if you set yourself that kind of benchmark, then you're constantly looking at that and thinking, man, mine's not as good as that. So you just got to get better and better. I know certainly there's probably some of our listeners out there are probably considering, is it worth my time investing so much energy into writing such good content? Shouldn't I just be posting on a regular occurrence, like a regular basis and just getting four, five, 600 word posts out there on a weekly basis, isn't that going to attract more subscribers or I'm going to have end up with more content out there for Google to find me and people to come across my page? It really depends on your strategy. Some blogs get by on, you know, a couple of really awesome posts and those posts tend to get a lot of um, impact in social media and they'll get, they'll get Hacker News attention and they'll get lots of tweets and Facebook likes and whatever. Other blogs will get by based purely on volume and like long tail SEO traffic is really powerful. So if you can build up a good blog with a good following and just pump out a lot of content, then you'll get that long tail traffic in in droves because of, just because of the sheer bulk of content you have. But part of the reason for me, and I do have posts on my site that aren't like as epic as these big guide posts, but part of the reason of doing these really good posts is I'm not just trying to get traffic. I'm trying to make a name for myself and trying to get the attention of other content producers who are only going to give me their attention if I'm producing good stuff. And I'm also trying to get the attention of other blogs and other influential people to post content on, on their sites. And they're not going to be interested in these crappy 600 word posts that have been written a thousand times before. So there's that motivation as well. And I'm also doing it to educate the um, people who are using informally. A lot of these posts I'm doing are to do with analytics and things like that. And if you're writing something that really is at the core about educating people, then you can't be doing these crappy 500 word posts, you know, on the top 12 tips for blogging or, you know, the, the top 20 WordPress plugins. And, and, you know, I probably do have a few of those posts on there, but you can't fill your blog with that kind of stuff if your intention is to educate people. Yeah, absolutely. I think you made a very good point with the with the authority. Just thinking about how I how I engage with people or or who I see as authoritative figures, it's never I'm never I'm always hanging out to read their content or watch their videos, but in most cases the content's produced irregularly and it's because it's such high quality that i that i engage at such a level with these people so if you're looking to build an authority i guess is what i'm saying then focus on producing the best quality content you can that's what works for me i mean there's a lot of ways to do it but that's what works for me and and it's important to me to know that i'm helping people as well and that i'm I mean, if I was just sitting around, you know, building dodgy backlinks to my site, I just, that's just not what I want to do with my time. So if, if you're the sort of person who was like me and wants to do that, then go for it. I mean, if you're the sort of person who really doesn't like writing and is just going to have to be forced to do this, then maybe just don't do it at all or get someone else to help you with it or do something that you are really good at, like podcasting or video or something like that. So you can get, you can make your name that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, very. That's very relevant. Um, you just have to find a medium that best suits you, and you. Um, there are certain mediums that allow you to leverage a little bit more than others, but I think it's more important to get your main medium is the correct one for you, and that will give you the best results. Yeah, and it's like you with your video stuff. Like I think I, I probably got to know you because I was seeing all these awesome videos and these comments you were putting in the forums about the video stuff, if you had been just writing blog posts, I probably still wouldn't know who you are. In in a way, it's good to choose something other than writing, but I don't know, for whatever reason, writing is just what I find I'm probably better at and I find myself enjoying doing more of. 
absolutely and that's a, yeah the same with me the videos i can pump out videos like just so quickly i shot three videos before i hopped on this episode with you and it took me about 15 minutes but certainly if you ask me to write a post even a two or three hundred word post i wouldn't even get one out in two weeks yeah and part of it is pushing yourself i'm no good at video either and and i'm doing those videos but i'm just i'm rapidly learning it same with podcasting and the first one was terrible the last one you know was much better and you gradually learn and you i think you like things more once you start getting good at them as well um but if you're just starting out i, I would definitely be doing whatever it is that you can be really good at and get the attention of other people who are good at it yeah yep so informally is just about to come out of better so right now you've got a team that is developing for this product am i right in saying that yeah, I've got two full-time developers in the Philippines. As you launch, do you anticipate having the time that you have had for the last few months to produce the quality or, or to keep the caliber of the content to the same standard? I've got a few ideas after I launch. I get through a lot of work, so I will still be doing, and I do work a lot as well, and I'll still be working a lot and getting through a lot of work, but I see the content as core to the success of the app. And if I'm not doing the content, then I don't think I'm really going to have any way of marketing this app that other people aren't able to do better than I can. So to me, it's core. But the other thing is I'm also going to look at getting some help from other people as well. And I've started to look at other writers and getting, I really would love to build up my blog to the point where it's a really like a renowned destination for people who want to learn about dominating online and doing this online marketing stuff and analytics and people are just getting into this stuff. I'd really like to be a really well-known place for that and to do that I think especially since I can't I can't religiously put out like five blog posts a day then I'm going to have to get some extra help so I'm looking at doing that as well yeah it makes a lot of sense I think an, an interesting way that companies approach that SEO Moz I think do it quite well where they essentially have a they've got their pillar blog and then they've also got their UMoz blog which is essentially anyone can post to it and then they promote content uh, depending on how popular it is. I think that's quite a, an interesting concept. Yeah, it definitely is. I think it's tempting to look at these other companies and try to replicate them. But SEO Moz have had, I think, something like $20 million of funding. And it, it's hard when you're just doing it yourself to, you know, you say, yeah, I want to be like Kissmetrics or SEO Moz, but really that kind of model is not going to work for you if it's just you. So I think you've really got to think about what's going to work for you and how you can maybe one day build yourself up to that level. But it's like when people take these ideas that, that Apple have done and say, this is how, you, how to apply it to your business. They're Apple and you, you can't apply that to your business. But yeah, it's definitely important to have a benchmark, but, it's, but try not to, at least from my point of view, I try not to say this is exactly how they do it. Therefore, that's what I'm going to do. The other thing I guess is that they're... Um they're relatively mature companies now, so they didn't start off with their current structure in place 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever it was. They've evolved over time, and I guess you will too. Yeah, it's also they did it off the back of a product. That in a lot of cases, they did it off the back of a product that, that pretty much didn't exist, were very early on in terms of SEO software, and they were building a great product, and they were also, I think, I'm not sure how many years they've been around, but I've heard a few interviews with Rand and, and they, he had a consultancy for years as well. And they build this momentum up over a long period of time. And yeah, I think that's important to remember as well. That's one thing with blogging that's hard to take at first. You could write 10 or 15 posts and get like three tweets on Twitter and say, man, this is depressing. It's, it's actually hard work, but eventually things start rolling. 
Yep, absolutely. All right, Dan, I think we've covered quite a lot in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, one thing we didn't really touch on, would you be would you be happy to reveal uh, some numbers in terms of your your the, the community you've built in terms of subscribers and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, three months ago, my site didn't exist at all. Uh, now I'm getting about 5,000 visitors a month, which is about what I was getting in my old blog. And it's not a huge number of people, but within three months, I think that's pretty good. I've had, I had about 1,100 people sign up to the beta. And out of that 1,100, there's probably maybe 200 or so, or maybe less that are actually actively using the app. I think a lot of people sign up and forget about it. And these are some of the things I'm going to have to address as I launch it. But I've also had, I think maybe 1,200, 1,300 people who've signed up to be notified about the app. So mainly the content at the moment, the opt-in has been, we're going to be launching informally soon, sign up here to be notified. Um, and yeah, I've also done an email course. I think I've had maybe 60, 70 people sign up to to do the email autoresponder course as well. So I think the numbers will get a lot more interesting when I launch it to the public and I see who's referring people to use it, how many people are signing up to paid and that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly. Well, that's fantastic, Dan. We've touched on a couple of aspects of, of your content domination. I'd love to get you on in the future to speak about a little bit more about podcasting and a little bit about your videos as well. But for this episode, I think we've covered covered enough. So again, I'd, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This episode will be going to air just after you've launched publicly for Informly. Where can people go to, to find out more about you personally and also about about the app? Cool. So yeah, hopefully it'll be launched and it wouldn't have exploded and everything is going well. And if that's the case, you can go to inform.ly and you can sign up for free and connect a bunch of your services and feel free to email me, dan at inform.ly and just give me any feedback you have on the app. I'm really happy to hear from people. I'd love to hear from people about what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And the blog is inform.ly forward slash blog. And on there you'll find all sorts of stuff. There's a lot of posts like we talked about. I've got 20 podcast episodes and a um, bunch of videos and that kind of thing. And of course, leave me feedback on those as well. Yeah, absolutely. Listener, if, if you do actually head across, if you listen to this episode and then head across to the site and find it has exploded, Dan would really appreciate that you give him a, or shoot him a quick email. I'm sure he'd really appreciate hearing from you at that stage as well. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> All right, Dan, thanks very much for uh, coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks again.